So good. Uh, okay, uh, if you've got a Bible in some form, electronic, paper, I haven't got any today. I mean, there are testimonies, but I haven't organized any today. <clears throat> and uh, we're turning to Ephesians 4. Yay, there it is. And some of you, a lot of you around a couple of weeks ago when we had this amazing uh, weekend and, and, and even more gobsmacking prophecy over Teresa and I and, and us as a church and the city and the nation, uh, which we're believing and rising to. And uh, a lot of it was couched in the terms of these terms that actually God pronounced over us really that we were no longer a pastoral community but we were an apostolic church so we're going to talk about what that might actually mean all right I want to talk to you about uh, apostolic culture this morning and some of it we've touched on before but on the back of that it's it it, you know we can get excited about words and then go um oh yeah, I'm ex- ap- apostolically excited. What's the difference between a, a pastoral church and an apostolic church? And uh, I want to do it in a way that, that, that really want to honor all the gifts that God has released and down, downloaded from heaven to the body of Christ. So if you've found Ephesians 4, and uh, we're going to read a few verses from verse... Uh, oh, where should we go from? The beginning is always good, isn't it? But that takes longer, so... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, go from verse 4. There's one body and one spirit, just as you're all called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given. Say grace. Grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led hosts of captives and he gave gifts to men so these gifts of grace are the product of the ascension all right so they're coming not from a a defeated christ they're coming from a triumphant exalted ruling reigning christ so these are ruling reigning triumphant gifts of grace being given to men and women all right, that, that, that's important, that's the perspective. They're not kind of horizontal, here's just a bit of grace to get you through. They're the fruit of Jesus' triumph over the grave, over sin, over Satan, and his ascension to have all authority in heaven on and earth. And from that place of all authority, he gives grace gifts to people. That's good to remember that, that's always a good point. Um, he's saying he ascended... What does it mean that he'd also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. There you go, it's saying what I just said really. And he gave the the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and the teachers or he gave some to be depending on your translation. To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to the mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. 
So the measuring stick is not how full your friend is, not how full the Puritans were, not how full anybody is that you know. The measuring stick is the fullness of Christ is attainable in this life on this planet by people like you and me. Just look at someone and say, I can be as full as, with Christ as Christ was. That's kind of exciting. It's kind of exciting, but also mostly scary. <laughs> Return with me to 1 Corinthians uh, 12. And Paul, Paul repeats that phrase in Ephesians. His, his aspiration for the church is that we're as full of God as God is. That we're as full, of, as full as Jesus as Jesus was. So that's our standard. That, that's, that's where we're going. That's the fruit of the death and resurrection of Jesus, of Jesus. Is that all of us can be as full of him as he was. That's a really good idea, isn't it? It kind of lifts the lid on your expectations a little bit. And uh, let's turn 1 Corinthians 12. And uh, we're going to 27. Now, you're the body of Christ and individually members of it. And this is kind of a parallel passage to the one we just read. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating of various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all possess gifts of healing, do all speak in tongues, do all interpret, but earnestly, uh, earnestly desire the higher gifts. And I'll show you a more excellent way when he goes on to talk about love, which means all the gifts operate through love. Not, we don't do gifts, we do love instead. All right? That's not the point of that. All right? He's given these gifts from heaven that we should treasure them, but they exercise their grace through love. Um, so here we go. Just give you, that's to give you a few introductory thoughts. So who... So it is possible, therefore, according to the Bible, to be mature, unified, and as full of God as God is. But what the Bible's teaching us here in Ephesians 4 is that that happens as we receive the gifts that God gives of apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. So this doesn't just happen. It happens through your connection with the Holy Spirit, Father, Son, and, and yourself, but it also happens through your connection and receptivity of apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, because it says that these are given until the body is mature and measures up to the fullness of Christ. So they weren't taken away ever, because as far as I can see, we're not all united, we're not all mature, we're not all as full of, with Jesus as Jesus was. It's a little more work to do. So a key to all of our maturity and our going forward and our unity and understanding the faith, etc., is that we connect a right to apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastors and teachers. And the diff- one of the difficulties the church has had over the centuries is I think the teachers got hold of the verse and decided that apostles and prophets didn't exist anymore. 
uh, because they carry such a weight, which means if they take the second scripture, it says first, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers. If you kill off the first two, guess who's at the top of the tree? And what we've ended up with is the church has not believed in, in the ongoing ministry of apostles and prophets, but has believed in the ongoing ministry of teachers, pastors, and evangelists. So it's legal to aspire uh, uh, to, be an apost- to be a pastor, a teacher, or an evangelist. People, most people are very happy if you, ask, if you say, well, I'm a pastor, I'm a teacher, I'm an evangelist. If you start to say, well, I'm a prophet or I'm an apostle, they start to give you funny looks. Yeah, uh, do, do you know what I mean? Anybody experience that? Or, or it, it, it's just it's just not so easy if that happens to be you to walk around. It's people like pastors. By and large, they like pastors. People are really they, even if they believe prophets exist and they believe they exist, sometimes they find them quite tricky to deal with. Which is where we have to thank God for apostles because they're the kind of people that can make prophets work. They like prophets. And we'll talk more about that, that in a minute. So what are, the, what are these gifts? So we've been, the outcome is that we've been dominated for centuries really. The, the culture of the church has actually been mostly affected by teachers, pastors and at times evangelists. So their grace that has come from heaven to equip us has been the primary culture, atmosphere setting grace that has been honored and released in the church around the world. That is true. You can look, research it if you like, but that, if you look at the history of the church, that would be primarily true with a few exceptions of things breaking breaking through. So the, the culture, the atmosphere. Now, culture and atmosphere sound a bit airy-fairy, but they're actually vital. So here you go. Uh, years ago, I used to travel to Mexico, visiting churches there. And in Mexico, the most important public holiday is Mother's Day. Now, immediately, we all go, that can't be possible. The most important public holiday for me is Christmas, or probably in, up here in Scotland, the most important public holiday is New Year's. You know, who would make Mother's Day the most important public holiday? Well, the Mexicans did, because that's their culture. So important is it to them to get home, particularly men, to get home to see mom, that it has been known for airline stewards and administration people to check people into airlines and airplanes to sit on the toilet as their during the flight because the flight is full with other men trying to get home to see mom on Mama's Day. Now again we go, that's health and safety, that's crazy. We would never do that, that breaks all the rules. No one would ever be get checked in to sit on the loo in an airplane. It's not safe. You know, there's no seat belt. There's no, there's no thing to reach for under the seat. The, but because of their culture, the atmosphere, how important Mother's Day is in that culture, they behave a way which to us is weird. Yeah? But to them makes perfect sense because of their culture. So the culture of the church is very important. Sometimes we're not aware of it, but it's been dominated by the teacher, pastor, and evangelist. And the things that they value are what we value the most. 
All right? So the grace, remember grace? Say grace again. Grace. So grace is a gift. It's something imparted. It's nothing that you earn for. The grace that sits on someone who is a pastoral gift, a shepherd's gift, is they have a grace to connect to God's people in a special and unique way. God's people like pastors. They just do. And it's, it, it, it's a grace. So it just happens. They connect. People like them. People like being around them. And they like people. There's a mutual loving starts to happen with pastors. And pastors generally build churches. And one of the things that's coming out of their heart, one way or another, is no one's going to protect you and love you quite like we will. That, that's, a pastoral, that's a pastoral grace. It's a good grace. It's not a bad grace. It's a good grace. Evangelistic grace. You meet evangelists, they have a unique grace to connect to unbelievers. They'll talk to anybody. They'll talk to people in a pub at the bus stop. And, and people open up their lives to them. When, when I do that, you try that sometimes. I do it like I was supposed to be more evangelistic. And they look at me like I'm weird. Evangelist has a unique grace. And they just seem to manage to connect to people in that kind of way. That's, that's their grace gift. Is, is they're equipped either one-to-one or even in a big public way to equip, to, to connect to unbelievers in such a way that they can then take them by the hand and lead, the clo- lead them closer to Christ. What a gift. What, that's an awesome grace, isn't it? So we like that. Teachers have a unique grace to Scripture and truth. So they connect to Scripture. They, they, they get stuff out of Scripture. They understand Scripture. They're often really intelligent people who can hold like 51 Bible verses in their head at the same time. And, and, and they ha- but they have a grace to connect with Scripture and explain it to God's people. So they have a grace to God's people to take truth and connect it to them and their lives. So it's a wonderful, powerful grace. Amen? And most of us have lived in environments created by the release of those three graces. And that ends up, we end up thinking that church is about us. Because pastors are there for us. Teachers are there to explain for us. And every now and again an evangelist reminds us it isn't just about us, it's about them. And make us feel uncomfortable for a few weeks and invite people to a guest service. all right, but, but mostly the pastor teachers are the ones that lead the churches and it can make us start to feel, you know, this is a safe place, the teaching is good, they care for us, you know, they look after us if we get sick, etc., etc., etc. This feels safe, this feels good, it's all about how I'm, my needs are being met in this environment. All right? Okay. What about apostles and prophets? What's their grace? Because these are probably the graces that have been the most absent from the environment of thing called church. So we struggle the most to connect with these kind of people. And often you find these kind of people wandering around the earth, bringing the presence of God and doing crazy things in meetings and then disappearing because nobody understood what they did, but they liked it while it happened. And they feel a bit misunderstood and they feel a bit unconnected to because pastors create an environment that apostles and prophets don't fit into. It's not in their grid. To a pastor, a prophet is someone who prophesies things that they understand. 
and that can be exegetically proven, and they get a slot in the agenda. Oh, here we go. So, uh, uh, Apostle's Grace, an Apostle's Grace isn't with you, it's with heaven. An Apostle's concern is more about the face of God and bringing heaven to earth than it is about making everybody feel comfortable. <laughs> if push comes to shove, if it's awkward for you, but God's saying it, they're going to go, let's go with God. If they've seen it in heaven, they're going to bring it to earth, whether it fits with you or not that week. Their grace is, it's all about Father's face and heavenly reality. And they're a bit scarier to connect to than pastors. And so they get a bit upset because everybody wants to talk to the pastors and nobody wants to talk to them. But it's not surprising really because they're, they're interested in you but they're a lot more interested in there. That's how they're wired. That's where their grace is. That's what they hear, see. They get revelation and they bring it to earth. And you sit there going, eh? And then they say, look, Teacher, this is the revelation. Make sense of it to these guys. Prophets have a grace to see the spiritual dynamic behind what's happening on the earth. So we have people like this. They're, they're, they're like seers. They're like, they're like um, in Scripture, think about Elisha. You know, he's, he's about to be arrested. A whole army has been sent to arrest him. And he's as cool as a cucumber. Why is he as cool as a cucumber? Because he's not looking at the physical army. He's looking at the spiritual army of angels that's surrounding the physical army. So he's not even breaking a sweat. Whereas his servant is going, Oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. Save us, save us, save us. That's not quite what the Bible says, but it's more or less that. And Elisha prays for him that his eyes will be open, and he sees all these horses. And actually, actually, the angels uh, strike blind the, the army and lead them right into the heart of, of the city, and so on and so forth. So, and Elijah is completely saved because, as a prophet, he sees the unseen. He sees the forces that are at work. Uh, and, and prophets can see both the glorious stuff and the not glorious stuff. But they see past that veil of sight. And again, they're not as bothered about you as they are about that. They're more likely to bound up to you and say, oh, I just see something dark over you today. And you're like, you didn't even invite me in and have a cup of tea. <laughs> didn't ask me how I was doing. Or they bounce up to you and say, I just want to call the glory out of you. And you're like, you don't even know my name. Yeah, but I see this apostolic call. You're going to do signs of one. Say, but you don't know who I am. Yeah, I do. I see heaven all over you. <laughs> so don't disqualify the prophets because they don't do pastoring. We're so used to being pastored. We're so used to being taught with a bit of uncomfortable evangelism thrown in for good measure, when prophets and apostles rock up, we're like, ooh, they're not very friendly. Why? Because they're not actually as bothered about your comfort as you are, or pastors and teachers are. 
They're not here for you, first of all. They're here for him. They're here for heaven. They're here for the other realm breaking into this realm. And they need all the help they can get from the teachers and the pastors and the evangelists to help get everybody on board. So it's not like they're better, they're worse. No, we need, you can see how we need everybody in this game, in this plan. Everybody is required and everybody is important that everybody gets released to function. And actually apostles can make space for teachers, for pastors and for prophets that they're comfortable to fit in in a way that pastors and teachers don't make space for apostles and prophets because they don't get them. Because they're not pastoral. And all these gifts come with this really strong inclination to look at the world, look at the church, look at life a certain way. And thank God they do. We don't want to change them, but we do want to have heart connection, integration, honor. Remember that phrase? All the gifts need to honor one another and see the strengths and the graces that each one has, not dismiss it because it's different to their grace. And, you know, for the last five centuries, our grace has been the superior grace. You cheeky apostles and prophets are showing up, and we want to hang on. Well, that's what's shifting around the planet right now, is there is a massive release of apostolic prophetic Christianity into the earth. And we are privileged to be swept up in that as a community. So when we start to say we are not a... Uh, primarily a pastoral community, although you will be pastored, but we're an apostolic community, it fundamentally means our concerns are becoming and have become much more about heaven coming to earth than about us all being well looked after and comfortable. Because many of you know heaven coming to earth has made you very uncomfortable for a season. And, and I, know, I know pastors who would have shut down what God has done in our meetings because they're concerned for how you feel when God shows up. I know pastors that will protect the sheep from God because they're afraid of how the people feel when God shows up in a way that's outside the box. Yeah? And he loves to come and show up outside the box. Apostles and prophets go, they just need more of this and they'll get it eventually. <laughs> All right, they're scared, but let's just keep going. <laughs> let's keep going. Because eventually what they all need is an encounter. <laughs> What's going to fix your fear of being touched by God is actually being touched by God. <laughs> well, what's it going to be like? We'll have one and find out. <laughs> is this making sense to anybody? <laughs> so we've had a Christianity dominated by certain, those certain gifts, and that's produced in us well-informed, generally if you go to a church with a good Bible teaching, you're well-informed about Scripture, you're a- a- able to argue your doctrinal point, you're probably able to do a half-decent job of apologetics with a non-Christian. Do you know what I mean by that? So explaining the ins and outs of the gospel and making some kind of apologetic for the gospel to unbelievers. Uh, you're perhaps per- prone to live from principle. So you've got lots of princi- good principles, biblical principles that you live from. Uh, 
but less inclined to be empowered by ecstatic experiences. Uh, Pastor-teacher environments tend to try and engage the culture in the world through uh, philosophical arguments, influence in thinking, talking about ideas of morality, campaigning against things, you know, like abortion or civil partnerships, you know, uh, same-sex marriage, and on and on and on. The, the church is known for campaigning for its moral perspective and making an argument and putting it out there. And actually, lots of people don't really want to know. But that's kind of how we look at it. Because we have a perspective framed by pastors and teachers, which is about communicating truth to one another. So then that's what we do to them out there, because we think that's what they need, because that's what we do. We are about good deeds. We're caring. But our relationships can tend to be brittle because we defend truth and therefore we tend to disagree. And when we disagree, we're like, who? I'll form a new denomination. And one forms, you know, more, more one every day in the, the Protestant world. Because there's a there's there's an assumption in the mind of a teacher that it's good to agree with him because he's right, and he spent hours figuring out that he's right. He doesn't want to tell you something that's wrong, and that's absolutely how it should be. But if that's our foundation, then we all live about who's right, and we're the rightest church in existence. So all the others will fade away because we're carrying the new rightness. Oh, you can see that 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 can get scary. But in a right place, it's really good. We end up with safe environments, but it gets a bit same old, same old. So you can't have excitement and safety at the same time. Well, you can, but it doesn't look like something you'd always want it to look like. We end up a bit controlled because of the safety mentality means that... uh, the instinct of the pastor is to, is to be overly parental and keep you all safe. So you need to check everything out and not do anything scary because you might damage yourself or even worse, damage people around you. So we control it, we dumb it down, we keep it simple, we, we check it out. Right, this is the tendency. And that, that kind of whole thing ends up in, can end up in, in building a kind of denominational thinking where we're controlled and we're all in agreement and we all line up, etc. Teachers need lots and lots and lots of information to change because they need lots and lots and lots of information before they tell you what they think. But this creates, in the church, in, this is a general perspective now, a conservative non-creative, cautious environment that is changing nothing on the planet. That's the fruit of that. So in some places, still they sit in pews. They still sing the hymns from the revival two centuries ago. And I love those hymns, don't... But it's a cautious, change happens slow... Let's preserve, let's keep safe kind of environment. 
and creative people and sensitive people and prophetic people are going, ah! in that kind of environment. It's often an environment where we're suspicious of supernatural manifestations that we can't find in the Bible. That doesn't mean they're not there, but we can't find them. And if we can't find them, we can't have them. Rather, let's have them and then let's find them. Apostles and prophets are like, yeah, God, just do anything. Yeah, come on, break in. Feathers, well, yeah, we'll, we'll figure that out. Just bring them however you want to come. Just we want your presence at any cost. If you make us look ridiculous, but we have your presence, that's what we're going for. We, the danger is we end up high in knowledge and low in power. So we know a lot about God, but don't have a lot of encounter with God. And without an encounter with God, you don't have a lot of encounter. You have to have an encounter to be one. Um, so sensitive creatives, uh, don't know where, it's not a happy home for them. Subjective experiences are treated suspiciously because objective truth is lifted up to a level that it controls everything. So subjective experiences, well, that's your experience, but it's not for any, everybody. Whereas what we're saying is we have an experience, give it away so everybody can get it. My encounter can be your encounter. Uh, seers and prophets don't fit. They're pr- treated with suspicion because they see angels all the time and all this kind of stuff. Uh, And people in the churches around the nations have a thirst for manifest presence. And I've talked to lots of people like this who are in that situation. And they're thirsty. They're absolutely hungry for an encounter with God. But they're constantly being told that if you read the Bible more and listen to this truth, it will do you good. And that's all you need. The message is that's all you need. It may not be articulated, but that's kind of what you end up with. And people's kind of passion gets kind of I want to read the Bible for an encounter not instead of one I just thought of that that was a good one so what's what's happening what's happening to us well we're just going crazy that's what's happened really we decided that Heaven coming to earth was the most important thing and there's nothing more precious than his presence. However, he decides to come and whatever that looks like and if that's scary to our flesh, that's probably a good thing and we'll get over it eventually. It's true though, some of us have, haven't we? At the beginning we're like, and now we're like, this church is cool. I may not do the wooey-wooeys, but I can see that it's been good for everybody else, so I'm still in. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> I do make a lot of this up as I go along. <laughs> okay, there were 12 apostles around Jesus. I have 12 hallmarks of an apostolic environment. And then I thought of a 13th this morning. I thought, darn. (laughs) 
Yeah, I'm obviously not a teacher. Yeah. <laughs> a teacher would have made it be 12. <laughs> the first one's so good, we might not get beyond that. <laughs> it's the impartation of shalom. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> in, uh, in, Ma- in Matthew 10, 7 to 14, there's not time to, to look it up, but Jesus sends the, f- it's the first mention of apostles, and he sends them, and he tells them to heal the sick, tells them to raise the dead, cleanse the leper, give sight to the blind, and when you enter a house, give it your peace. And if it's not received, let the peace return to you. Like they were supposed to know what that means. You're all sagely going, yeah, so I'm going to give them my peace. Well, what the heck is that? And how do you know if it's come out of you? And how do you know when it's coming back at you? I mean, that's a whole other level of sensitivity to spiritual interactions, isn't it? This is just, the, this was the starter pack. <laughs> and uh, anyway, shalom is the Old Testament word for peace. And it means a whole lot more than just absence of conflict or absence of anxiety. It's the presence of well-being. It's, it's health. It's peace. It, 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 it's, it's well-being. It's prosperity. So when you greet a house, you're saying, prosperity. I'm releasing heaven's prosperity in this atmosphere. So he actually commissioned them to shift atmospheres. To go in and declare... The shalom of God, and if it was received, that that would be the pervading atmosphere in the place that they stayed. So apostolic people are fundamentally atmosphere shifters, game changers at a spiritual level. They exercise a game shifting, atmosphere changing authority in the spirit realm that can be felt in the natural realm. They walk in the room, oh, something felt different. Teresa does that. I've had people come, people come up to her and say, we notice when you're not here. And there's like more than 100 people in the room, but you can tell the difference of when she's here and when she isn't here because of what she carries in the presence of God. She releases shalom in the room. And lots of you do this in different ways as well. So I'm not just, but this is fundamental to this. <sighs> I thought that was really good. They have power, not just words. So Paul's test of the false apostles in Corinth was, do they have any power? You can look it up for yourself in 1 Corinthians 4.19. He wasn't interested in how many words they had, but did they have any power? Because the kingdom of God does not consist of, of, of words, but power. Fundamental is that supernatural things happen around these people, and they create an environment where supernatural stuff starts to take place. Number three, they have significant angelic assistance. Phew. <laughs> now, we all have angelic assistance. Their angels are sent to serve the saints. That's what uh, Hebrews 1 tells us. But there's a significant, because of this heaven-to-earth grace that apostolic people have, they have a significant level of communication and assistance with the angelic realm. You're all looking at me like, that's not in the Bible. It flipping is in the Bible, all right? It just is so. 
So if you read Revelation, okay, Apostle John writes Revelation, what's he told to do? This confused me for decades. It says, write a letter to the angel of the churches. That's what it says. Write a letter to the angel of the church. He's, he's communicating with angelic beings that have an assignment, the angel of churches that have an assignment to, to move with God in those churches. And at the end of every letter it says, He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. So what the apostle says to the angel is what the Spirit is saying to the church. And when they all line up, you get activity in the spirit realm. Go think about that for 20 years. <laughs> it's okay to communicate with angels. It's in the Bible. We even sing it every Christmas. Sing choirs of angels. We're telling them what to do. They actually don't need lots of encouragement to do that, but it's kind of fun. Look it up in Psalm 103 if you want more biblical evidence for interaction with the angelic. Honest, it's there. I've looked hard. <coughs> Number four, apostolic <coughs> fathers are the senior level fathers in the church or fathers and mothers. Not time to unpack all of that. If you want to know more about women in ministry, men in ministry, there's teaching on our website about that that we did last summer. About three of you have downloaded it, so you're obviously desperately interested in that, that subject. Um, but a bunch of you were there and you heard us talk through it, so thanks. So they're, they're the senior level parents. So there's different levels of parenting, isn't there? If you have a baby, you're a parent. But that doesn't mean you're an apostle. You may be, but you might not. But you are a parent because you have a baby. Um, John writes, in 1 John, he says, I write to you fathers. So there's meant to be a range of fathers in a local church, senior people who bring wisdom and stability. So there's supposed to be all kinds of spiritual fathers, yeah? But Paul was an apostolic father, and he wrote in 1 Corinthians 4.15 that though you have many or countless teachers or guardians or guides in Christ, again, so you can have many teachers, but you do not have many fathers... Because I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So think about it for a minute. The most senior person in the universe is God. And he has a kingdom. What does it look like? It's family. Because he is our father. We're taught to pray our father, not our CEO. Not our general, not our boss, not even our Lord. Jesus taught us to pray a family prayer, an intimate prayer, all right? not a hierarchical boss leader prayer. The senior figure in the kingdom is a papa, he's a dad. And that's mirrored on the earth in apostolic ministry. They're fundamentally parents. to create heaven's family on the earth. 
not the family you grew up in. Hallelujah. Although many of you had great families, but actually there's a superior level of family being released from heaven to the earth. And we're called to model it as a community and in our families and leave a better model of family to the next generation and so on and so forth. <coughs> Number five, they're there to teach doctrine. So Acts 2.42, they gave themselves to the apostles' teaching or apostles' doctrine. I think this is so, so vital. But I think when the teachers got hold of this, they froze it in time. And actually, I think Terry Virgo does an amazing job of explaining this. Actually, apostles are here to bring the revelation that is needed now in this context, in this time, and in this season. So every generation needs its apostolic figures to, to carry a revelation of the gospel for that generation, to move the agenda forward and explain the everlasting truths in a way that are meaningful into this culture without compromising the things that should never be compromised. There's lots of people trying to be relevant, and the outcome of their relevancy is actually compromising things that should never be compromised. Hello. So they are teachers, but they're not wired like teachers. That's not their primary six of 13. Apostles are preoccupied with heaven and his face, and we've talked a bit about that. But in Acts 6, they actually refuse to get involved with the earthly church ins and outs of serving the tables and who's not getting bread. And, and, and actually, all the time I find people want to pull church leaders into those nitty-gritty practical things, whereas actually the thing the church needs the most is people who are focused on his face. Actually, what we all need the most is people who know what's happening in heaven and can bring it to earth who know what the Father's love is like and to impart it to you. You need that more than someone who can fix the admin in the church. Now, it's not making that unimportant, but without the context of heaven coming to earth, we'll just become an administrative community, and that alone is not going to change the atmosphere or change the culture of our world. Ha! So they say, we are not going to do this. We're going to make sure it's done by others. We're going to give ourselves to the ministry of the word and prayer. That's because that's their thirst, that's their focus, that's their, their grace, that's their wiring. Number seven, apostles can cope with prophets, therefore the world needs more apostles, and prophets need more apostles. And one of the reasons we have, I, I spoke to a great prophet the other day, and they said something like, the trouble with prophets is they all have a different message. It's quite hard to get prophets into a kind of place of agreement over what God is actually saying. And I think we have a lot of orphan prophets and 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 it's a, i think it's be, it's beginning to happen but we need to see the wholesome partnership of apostles and prophets and i think that will help the spiritual antenna of the prophets be tuned in with less interference and will propel the apostles forward with greater power and insight into what they're called to do they belong together Ephesians chapter 2 and chapter 3 talk about the church is founded on the apostles and prophets. They belong together, not apart, not in separate movements, in a relationship. Um, hmm. 
And they need to be set free, prophets, to affect the actual DNA of the church, not just bring prophecies. So I was actually talking with Julian Adams, you know, who was with us a couple of weeks ago. Julian, is it possible you could come and spend a month with us next year and help create a prophetic dynamic in the heart of this church that's beyond what we have already? Because we want a prophet culture, prophetic culture here as well. See, do you see what I'm saying? So, and that affects the way you see, the way you hear, what you see. So everybody is going to be pr- more prophetic if you release the prophets. Um, eight. Apostles have letter churches, so they are concerned for the church and the, 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 the things that happen in church. And they have churches that are a, a representation of what they've carried. So they've fleshed it out in a, in a community. They're not just kind of running around the world doing stuff. 2 Corinthians 3, 2 is the scripture for that. Uh, uh, Apostles and prophets build a church for presence. Again, you can look it up, Ephesians 2, 20 to 22. They're the foundation that the church is built on in order that, that it can be an habitation, a place inhabited by the presence of God. So their preoccupation is, has he showed up today? Not did we, have, did we have lots of contributions or was the music good or were the chairs in the right line, although I know that's important because I mess with that quite often. But the, the whole thing is, did he show up? Were we overwhelmed by him? Was he the number one item on our agenda? Was he our first love, our first thirst, and was his presence the thing we encountered more than the cake? Or even one another? That's what we're here for. We're here for him. We're not here first for us or for them. We're here for him. I'm going to say it again. We're here for him. He wants to land on planet earth. And we are supposed to be the house where he lives on planet earth. So then the rest of the planet who desperately need him know where to come to get him. The problem when you don't get him is you're not relevant because the basic thirst of all mankind is God. There's a hole inside of everybody that's heavenly father shaped. That was a much more exciting point. (laughs) Number 10. Apostolic culture is an atmosphere of love and honor. Just read John. Everything that he said. Number 11. (laughs) I could see I could have made this 12 now. (laughs) Number 11 could go in with apostolic doctrine. And then I'll still have 12 points. So this is, this is point, whatever it was, B. <laughs> Apostles teach the Bible rooted in deep revelatory encounters with the Spirit, not just great reading of commentaries. Now, please don't misunderstand me. I think reading commentaries, using the tools, looking at word meanings is all excellent and important to be work to be done. All right, so I, this can always sound like, well, you're kicking out one to, no, 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 no. I'm just saying that. If I want to hear someone teach the Bible who's had the experiences in the Bible, they're much more likely to know what they mean than someone who's just read about them. All right, so Paul says he received his ministry by a working of God's power, not three years in seminary. 
I'm going to say it again. Paul said that he received his ministry through a working of God's power. He had an encounter with power, and out of that flowed his revelation. He also says he was taken up into the third heaven and saw things that he couldn't express. And such was the extreme nature of his revelations that in order that he wouldn't get proud about them, he, he was given a thorn in the, in the flesh. And everybody here speaks about the thorn in the flesh always misses out the first bit. The reason he had a thorn was because he had an abundance of revelations. Come tell me when you have an abundance of revelations that words cannot express, that you are so, so taken up into the heavenly realms, then maybe you qualify for a thorn. Huh. Um, <laughs> so you need the revelatory encounters to explain the revelatory encounters that are in the book. So he says crazy stuff like you can know things that can't be known. You can have peace that is beyond understanding. So he's saying a lot of the stuff that we think we need to get understanding about, you need to get it, you don't understand it. Go away, think about that one as well. Um, number 12. Uh, we're coming into land. Apostles have a heavenly blueprint. Have an internal sight, sense, sound, feeling, flow that isn't an earthly structure. It's how to do community without hierarchy. They have a flavor of the government of heaven in their souls and can impart it to others and, and produce it. They're, they're master builders, but not of earthly structures, of heavenly structures on the earth. There's a difference. All right, so they're master builders, but not, they're not sanctifying earthly structures. They're not going, oh, business works good. Let's make that sanctified. Let's make it Christianized and do church like business. No, they're going, let's do church like heaven. Our job is to do heaven on earth. Huh. Apostles know that the presence of the Holy Spirit is the only way you can produce all the things you really want in a community. The presence of the Holy Spirit, He is the senior pastor. He is the one that orchestrates unity, freedom, and diversity all at the same time. Human structures cannot cope with freedom, diversity, and unity. They don't happen through human effort. The Holy Spirit, Ephesians 4, we have one spirit, and he is the spirit of unity. When you're connected to him, you don't have division. Division is the product of another spirit. I'll say that again. Division is the product of another spirit. It means you and I are partnering with something other than Holy Spirit because he's a spirit of unity. And when you, you or I withdraw from someone we're, because we don't like them or what they do or how they do it, we're actually beginning to partner with something other than Holy Spirit. 
because he wants us to honor what he's doing in them and them to honor what he's doing in us and that keeps us together not pulls us apart and that is going to have to wait for another time I've got a whole other section which we can't do. So we end up, we should end up with a freedom culture, an encounter culture, a culture of presence, a culture where miracles happen, a culture of creativity, a culture where you can be who you are called to be, where you discover your destiny. The box is big enough. In fact, there's no box. Everybody can be who they are. They don't have to fit in the, the sausage machine created by the leaders. church has been a sausage machine for too long and it's because and you're not you're not all pork <laughs> i know that <laughs> let's let's just stand in his presence and let's get our children please and we are just to celebrate this this morning we're going to break bread together as as we close so the children can come back, they can join in. But let, let's just turn our hearts to him again and, and let's just, just pray together for a moment and then we're going to break bread. <laughs> Heavenly Father, we like being your children. <laughs> we're glad you're not our boss, you're our dad. Uh, and we love this new apostolic reformation that is sweeping the world and I'm really grateful that we've been caught up in it Father and thanks for the freedom that's breaking out in this house thanks for the miracles that are happening in this place thanks for the transformation that's happening thank you that more and more of us are becoming who you've called us to be and it's okay <laughs> it is okay to fulfill our calling and our destiny so Father thank you for what you're doing Thank you for the people who are going to get healed this morning. Thank you for the people who are being transformed this morning. And thank you, Jesus, for your body broken for us, for your blood spilled for us, <laughs> that you bore our cross so we wouldn't have to, and we could experience resurrection life today and health and blessing and freedom and provision and transformation and wholesome families and transformational power and encounters with your face, they all flow from that glorious victory which was the cross. Huh.